<laughs> Welcome to Burning Obviously, Burning in Hell is a mental health comedy podcast, and we have a lot of hilarious comedians on. We have a lot of insightful people, but we have never had a man who was a monk, <laughs> and he's been everywhere, and now he's finally, you know, hit the top. He's come to Burning in Hell. He's found the mecca <laughs> of mental health. <laughs> Welcome, Jay Shetty, to the pod. Hiya, thank you so much for having me. I, I'm so glad that I get to be with you today, honestly. Thank you. You have very good energy. Thank you. Because you never know. So I was, I thought I might be intimidated by you. <laughs> the all, like, he's all-knowing. He's, he's also very famous. There's, like, a lot of things that could be intimidating. Uh, but you kind of you have a very warm oh, warm energy you. that means the world to me that's that's the best thing i could have had today so thank yeah because so i'm much. like do people just like him because he has blue eyes or is he actually <laughs> you know i mean you are on this book tour mm -hmm. which is fucking crazy and and you sent it to me the eight rules of love yes. and you're married yes which i kind of love because there's a lot of like dating you know people out there and they've like never had a relationship before <laughs> <laughs> but I like that your book is not only like your teachings and your research over the years but you also say a little bit more about yourself mm -hmm. so what I want to bring into this podcast today because I feel like you have so much amazing knowledge everywhere is to get to know you a little more yeah. get to know your hell a little bit and the shit you've been through why have I not been asked to become a monk yet like how do you get <laughs> into the monk ship how did you get in because no one's I'm not on the email list. Yeah, yeah. You didn't you didn't get the memo? No. No, no you haven't subscribed. Yeah. No. I didn't swipe up. <laughs> yeah, no. I, and, and it's and it, for me it was the same. It was uh I met a monk for the first time. His name's Goranga Das. I met him when I was 18 years old. Uh-huh. And I met him because you still had to go to events to meet people because there was no YouTube podcasts. You know, it was it was a while ago. And yeah. so I would go to events. I'd love hearing from CEOs and athletes and musicians about mm -hmm. their rags to riches stories. And I wasn't fascinated by the rags and the riches. I was fascinated by what you're fascinated about here, like people's challenges mm. and their mindset and how they got there. And one night my friend said to me, hey, we should go and hear this monk speak. And I said to them, I said, well, what am I going to learn from a monk? I'm fascinated by people who've gone from nothing to something, mm -hmm. not nothing to nothing. Uh -huh. like, like, what am I going to learn from this guy? And they said, no, we should go. And I said, okay, I'll only go if we go to a bar afterwards. Like, that was my <laughs> negotiation <laughs> tactic. So to prove how, how, how spiritual I am. Yes. That's, that's what I was like as an 18-year-old. And my friends were highly convincing. They said, yeah, sure, sure, sure. We'll go to a bar afterwards. And so I went to this event and I went there with very low expectations. I thought I was going to walk in, walk out. We're going to hit up this bar. And I walked there and I found something I wasn't looking for. I wasn't looking for spirituality. I wasn't looking for meditation. I wasn't looking for well-being. And the way this monk spoke, he was talking about how serving others with your skills is the purpose of human life. Using your gifts to impact and help other people mm. is what we're meant to do. And I'd never heard that before. So 18-year-old me stayed behind, wanted to shake his hand, like meet him. Mm -hmm. I ended up traveling with him that whole week in London, going to all his events. Then I spent all my summer vacations and Christmas vacations traveling to India to live with him in the monastery. And then when I graduated, I lived as a monk for three years. And so it was a very long journey of spending time with this one monk to then spending time with the monks to then actually living as a monk. Holy shit. Sorry, that's the quick version. No, that was yeah. <laughs> that was beautiful. Oh, and where were you in where were you based when you uh, weren't in India? Two hours outside of Mumbai. 
And then we traveled across Europe as well, so we'd live at different. And where were you living when you were like with your friends and stuff? Before? I was I was in London. So in London, yeah, I went to university in London town. I'm from London. I'm from oh, London. Oh, very yeah, from cool. Born and raised in London. Yeah, very cool. Uh, and I also feel like you've transcended like traditional monkship, what we think it is, which is honestly like not relatable. And <laughs> you you've put it in this such like a, like even your book, like you talk about fuck boys and stuff, yeah. and it's the kind of stuff that we information that we could retain. Yeah. So you. You guys aren't fucking when you're a monk, right? <laughs> no, you're not. Definitely not. So, so you're like a you're celibate. <laughs> you're you're celibate. celibate. And you don't talk to, well, for me, the opposite sex, but you don't talk to um, the sex that you're attracted to. So I'm completely living uh, a celibate life. I'm, I haven't spoken to a woman for those three years. Mm -hmm. And the point isn't repression or suppression. The point is to redirect your energy. Mm -hmm. And I always like to clarify that because a lot of people think that monks think like, oh, women are bad or this. And that. It's not yeah. that. It's actually a side of, can I dedicate my mind to mastering my mind? Like, can I focus on that? And we can do I like really hot showers. So people okay. think we're connected to Satan sometimes right, as right, women. Right, right, yeah. But <laughs> oh yeah, got it. We did cold showers and monks for that oh reason. My God. There you go. That <laughs> you know, right, they yeah. do say the cold shower thing like gets your mind right. But yeah. I'm like, I'm like, that was the original cold plans. Like we were taking cold oh showers. Like that was, that was a normal part of life. And, and yeah, it was just, what I found that I got from that experience is from age 14, which is when I started dating, till age 21, I don't think I ever had a gap between seeing someone or yes. meeting someone or we being love with attention. someone or flirting with someone. Like, yeah, your teen years, you're like constantly moving relationship to relationship to relationship. And those three years, and if you think about it, even for yourself, maybe or anyone who's listening, how many days have you actually spent not in the pursuit of someone mm -hmm. or not being pursued by someone in your entire life. It's such a drug. It's it's very little And it's time. so mental. It's so mental. Because I always say like, I'm a creative genius as in I, give me anyone. And in my head, I will make up something that I want, like put them on any pedestal. Because having, having a crush is like, like gives you a purpose. Oh my gosh. It <laughs> gives you a purpose. I love that. <laughs> I said, but like waking up in the morning that. is easier when you're like, I hope I run into Jeremy at the cooler. <laughs> you know? Well, well, I ran into my first crush. I still remember I was like 11 years old. Uh -huh. I mean, how old were you when you had your first crush? Oh, I was crazy. When I was like three, I think I was like humping some kid. They had to like pull me off him. But I was I was assertive from a young age. Cool. Yeah. I, it took me till 11. <laughs> so I was the late bloomer by, by your standards. Uh, but I remember having this crush and every guy in school had a crush on this girl. Mm -hmm. And I was overweight growing up. I was also pretty much one of the only Indians in my whole class. Mm -hmm. And so I got bullied a lot for both of those things. Mm -hmm. And so I remember turning up to school late one day and everyone in the class was laughing at me and pointing and giggling. <gasps> and I was like, what do they know? And then I got a little slip from one of my friends and I opened it up when you used to send notes in class, when mm -hmm. you can text mm -hmm. and I opened it up and it said, she knows. And I was like, she knows what? And so basically everyone in class had told the one girl that everyone had a crush on that only I had a crush on her. And so for the last rest of the day, all the girls stood behind, like in the playground in class and were just shouting out like, you're not in her league. She's out of your league. Like, oh how did you think God. you could get it? It was terrible. So that was my first experience. That's first really crush. traumatizing. It was very traumatizing. It's very traumatizing. <laughs> but so it wasn't a drug for me. It was, yeah. it was, it was a bad drug. It, it, it was a hangover. Well, there is a thin line between like the joy it could bring you and the pain. Yeah. And I do like in your book that you talk about not only just the joy, but like the joys of being alone, the joys of a breakup, yeah. that there are positivities in it. Is your book, how much is it gender based? Like in terms of if you're a woman or a, a guy reading it? So I tried to take gender out of it because I really feel that 
a lot of what we're experiencing today is a complete mixture of experiences. I don't think you could say, well, this is the same experience that all women and yeah. men are having. Like, I just don't think that's the case anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, I have so many more of my female friends that are like the breadwinners in their relationship now and they're leading the way or they're more driven and ambitious than some of their partners. And so- Yeah, the stereotypes just, are all stereotype, blurred. Yeah, they're all blurred now. And so for me, I was trying to write a book that anyone could pick up in this generation and go, okay, whether I'm looking for love, whether I'm trying to hold on to it or whether someone just broke up with me and hurt me, mm -hmm. this book's going to help that person. Oof. What I love about this book, and I think you might've said it on Call Her Daddy, okay. my girl, Alex, we love. Yes, love it. Is you were like, there's so much stuff that are not taught to us in school. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you almost had whatever education you had and then thought this wasn't enough for me. Mm -hmm. And then you have gone into your own studies and research and experiences. If you could have a Jay Shetty like high school, <laughs> what classes do you think are essential to living a fulfilled life? That is such a it's great a, question. It's, a fun, I love it's that honestly question. a little too deep, and you don't. That's, yeah, that's, well, but we'll like, I'm trying fun. to challenge we'll you. We'll make it fun. Yeah, we'll make it fun. I'm trying to challenge all, you a little. First of all. <laughs> Most of us should not start a high school, including me. Like, like first of all, let's just put it out there. Starting a high school or a primary school, uh, sorry, elementary school, as you call it here, is such a deep, important task mm -hmm. that no one should just start schools. I think it's highly dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so even what I'm about to say, it's caveated with the fact that I don't think even I know enough at this point to start a school. I, I think that's unhealthy. Yes. Just to put it but out But if you there. were like if I was, in a town hall meeting, yes, like, can yes, we add these yes, classes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, this is our okay. little Jay Shetty yeah, town yeah. hall meeting. First of all, my biggest class would be emotional regulation. <gasps> that would be the number one class. And the reason I say that, and it comes back to the book of Solitude, is that it said that our heartbeats and our heart rates, they synchronize when we're close to other people. And so first, our caregivers, whether it's your mother, your father, your uncle, or your aunt, whoever took care of you, your heartbeat and your heart rate synchronizes with theirs. And so the study says that the best thing for your nervous system is another human being, but the worst thing for your nervous system is another human being. Okay, that sounds like a pyramid scheme. And I <laughs> hate that life has done this to us. Yeah, and so, and so what I find is that your heart rate gets synced up to your partner's where you're now sharing a mood. Yeah. And so if you don't know how to self-regulate, if you don't know how to regulate your own emotions, you're just going to become dependent on whoever you're around. And that's why codependency takes off because we never learn to regulate our own emotions. So that's class number one. And if you grew up with a parent who also had trouble, then you could be anxious, like they are anxious based on things that Absolutely. are out of your control. Absolutely, and that's class number two healing from parents and healing from first loves. Because whether it's your parents or whether it's the first guy or girl or person you dated, all of those first love experiences completely transform what you want in a relationship. Maybe the first person you dated like made you insecure about how you look. Mm -hmm. Now anyone that tells you you look good is like the next attractive human being. When so, that person was projecting their own shit onto you. Exactly, exactly. And the person who's being complimentary to you, they may not even deeply like you. They may like you only for that. And so mm -hmm. I think unraveling the gifts and gaps, as I put it in the book, that our parents gave us is class number two. Oh, I like to call it reparenting too. Reparenting. Ooh, I like yeah, that. I like where that. it's kind good. of like the voices in your head are those negative things where yeah. you can say, mm, actually, how would I want it to have spoken to yeah, my yeah, inner yeah. child? Absolutely. Um, what's the third class? Oh, I'm allowed another one? Yeah. All right. Okay. Class number three. 
Class number three would have to be... Do you think meditation should be on it? I was actually... I, w- I would put meditation there. I might add that as a tool in emotional regulation. Yes, as true. As a tool and a practice. True. I would say that's an after school program. For yeah, 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 that's the extracurricular. <laughs> you, if you're smart, you get signed up. Yeah. For that. No, no. Um, <laughs> the other one that I'd add is uh, financial mastery and financial training. I just think that no one has any clue about how much they should spend on rent. No. Whether you should get a mortgage or not, should you buy a house or not, should, should you save up for one? Do you save or do you invest? What do you invest in? How do you know? Like, I think we have no idea. Until you're like 34 and someone goes, why haven't you been putting this into an IRA? Exactly. And you're like, is that an STD? Like, what is an IRA? <laughs> so <laughs> that, that is so true. Yeah. I'm actually, I grew up from a family of teachers. Ooh. Like my grandpa was a gym teacher. My mom was a principal. My my grandma was a librarian. And they, I think about teaching a lot. And I just think there's so many holes. Because I was... um a people pleaser and I always I was a perfectionist I just wanted straight A's so I wasn't like consuming it I was just trying to win the game and then I would forget it Mm -hmm. and then I entered life and it didn't matter that it's straight A's I was battling you know my perfectionism anxiety depression performing so that I feel lovable look at this it turned to a therapy session but that's (laughs) what it always does within yourself how is your levels of anxiety, depression? Do you deal with a cocktail of them? What has your journey with that been? Yeah, I feel like I really rebelled growing up against what my parents or what my community wanted me to do. So I kind of started dealing with that early on. So I had the anxiety almost as a young teenager of my parents wanted me to be good at maths and sciences. Yes. And while I was okay at those, that's not what I wanted to do. What I wanted to do was philosophy, art and design, psychology, economics was definitely a part of that. And so those were the subjects I loved. And so I started rebelling early on saying, I'm going to do what I want. And pushing for what you want when you're 13, 14 years old, Mm -hmm. it it kind of creates this really interesting place because now you're on your own because now it's like, well, you're the only person doing that. Everyone's kind of following the trend. And so I feel like that was it. But the biggest, when, when you talk about depression or anxiety, the hardest part where I experienced that was just before I went to become a monk and when I came back. So I experienced it before I went, anxiety, because everyone in my community was telling me, you've been brainwashed. You know, you're you're wasting your time. No one's ever going to marry you. You're never going to make any more money again. Like, imagine everyone in your community and your family, extended family, going at you and just telling you that this is the worst decision of your life and you've just turned down your job offers and have decided to make this thing and so there was a lot of anxiety attached to the decision but it takes a a real strong like inner voice to go against what your like you think your parents are gods growing up yeah yeah so where did that come from for you to think i know and they don't know i feel my inner voice was so loud since i was 14 that i could not ignore it like it's just been so and i feel like it's got louder or stayed steady because i've listened to it well you don't live the kind of life you live like following rules yes because you have a very unorthodox career i mean you're kind of like a superstar in like the i don't even want to say spiritual but it's just like this the self-help community do you ever get like hate from more like traditional monks or spiritual people because you are so on the internet and putting your face out there and making money yeah i think there's definitely you're kind of transcending yeah, traditional I, I think there's definitely a perspective around like you know are, is this being you know watered down or is it being put out there in a way but i think that Overall, I find that the people who really know me mm-hmm. or, or the people that I've gotten to know deeply, they understand that I love the idea of making things simple, accessible, digestible, relevant. Like yes. me, that's how 
I was taught about this wisdom and that's what made it so, it has to be demystified. Well, like, right? look at me, I have ADHD. I'm not reading a book, Yeah. but I will stop at a clip of you yeah. where you're looking, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you have the cool font and maybe some good music in the back yeah. and it's 15 and seconds. And that's one of us and that's most of us today. Right? And that's a smart, like marketing brain yeah, of yours. And, yeah, and I don't think we should be looking down. It's not like, oh, you're getting the watered down version. Mm -hmm. Actually, there's this beautiful statement uh, by a writer named Ivan Pavlov where he said that, um, uh, well, he wrote this, or he's not a writer, but he wrote this statement that I love. And he said that if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it well enough. So Ooh. to me, I'm constantly like grappling with ideas going, how do I explain this simply? Like, how can I make this really accessible for myself? Because then I can live it yes. and for others so they can live it. Like to me, that's a sign of compassion. Like it's empathy. Like to me, compassion and empathy is like, how can I make this so easy for anyone to understand? Because then I'll be able to live it and change my life. Yes. And they'll be able to do the same. Well, even in your book, you reference, is it Sanskrit? Yeah, or, Sanskrit. That's yeah. Great. yeah. So yeah. I've like seen you that stuff. You did read the book. There I, you I go. mean, well, she skimmed. <laughs> but like, I, 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 I loved like when you talked about karma and like yeah. I, as someone who loves yoga, like I, I see these things kind of connecting. Yeah. What is your current religion? So I have taken different practices from different traditions that I find fascinating. Mm -hmm. uh, overall, I follow a text called the Vedas, which is uh, a universal text which doesn't have a religion or particular spiritual path aligned to it. It's just speaking universally mm -hmm. about practices like meditation and wisdom and knowledge. Mm. And so for me, I practice three different forms of meditation, breathwork, visualization and mantra which is the repetition of sacred sound. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of what I practice is inspired out of India uh, because that was the tradition I lived in as a monk. And so to me, but, but I honestly, having said that, you know, I, I've loved pretty much every spiritual text I've picked up. Mm -hmm. I, I tell and read stories from so many different traditions. I, I consider myself uh, a practitioner, you know, like a citizen of the world yeah. when it comes to culture and spirituality because I feel like I can genuinely learn from any path and any tradition. Well, that's why your book is interesting to me about love because I feel like you've had so many different cultural experiences. Yeah. So to write a universal book, was that hard at all? Because I mean, like how Americans view sex yeah. versus like how like the Brit Middle East view sex or the Brits yeah, yeah, yeah. or, you know, the Chinese, who knows? How did you kind of globalize it. Yeah. So I'm always trying to put ancient wisdom together with modern science mm. and then pop culture, right? Like add yes. pop culture on top. The fuck boys. So, so yeah, that's kind of like my world. And that's me too. Like I love movies. I love monks mm -hmm. and I love media and marketing. Like yes. I love all of that. Yes. And so I'm just embracing all of those worlds that I live in and putting them all together. And to me, there's such a beautiful synergy and harmony that comes from that. So if something was true 5,000 years ago, and if science proves it today, mm -hmm. and if you can see it in mainstream media, then there's chances that it universally exists. Mm -hmm. And so to me, I'm trying to create things that are timely and timeless. Yeah. Because to me, something that's timeless is always timely. Yeah. So I'm not trying to be so in the now that it's a trend and it won't make sense. I would hope that someone could pick up this book in 10, 20 years and it would still hold true. Yes, some of the examples of, of phones and names may change, but, but the wisdom or the thought behind the book will make sense because a lot of the ideas are 5,000 years old, but science is proving them today. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's kind of like the, the cocktail that I like to put together. Oh, I love a cocktail. Yeah. Um, are you mocktail. sober? I should have said the mocktail. Are you sober? Yes. Yeah, I'm not... Uh, 
I, I don't know how everyone defines that word. So yeah, yeah. I don't drink alcohol, uh -huh. but I only ever was a social drinker or a games drinker. That's how I yeah. drank the most. Me and, my, the me, Brits, and my friends, <laughs> me and my friends would play too many. Well, we started, we all started drinking very early. Like yeah. We started drinking at like 13, 14 years old. Yeah. And we played a lot of drinking games. Ring of Fire was my personal favorite. <laughs> uh, and, and we just, yeah, we just drank our way to quitting early because mm -hmm. it just yeah I just got into it so young but yes I don't drink anymore do you have any insights on like hookup culture a lot of girls are in their 20s mm -hmm. and I feel like a lot of people talk about like energies of like a quick hookup versus like you have to wait five dates before you have sex what's your theory on the exchange of like physicalness in this world yeah currently I, I think it all depends on what you want and what you're looking for mm -hmm. like to me if someone's just exploring and enjoying and expressing themselves that's awesome if someone's trying to build something serious and wants something to last long term i think there's a different tactic and a different approach mm -hmm. and ultimately anything can kind of end up anywhere because of how it evolves and grows but i think the biggest mistake people make is they think there are set guidelines yes as to how it should be done you see it and, all over the place and, and it doesn't make sense because yeah like you just said like if someone's like oh well, don't have sex till date five or don't have sex till date 20 or don't you know i think all those kind of things actually just make you focus on that even more. Yes. And they stop you from focusing on everything else you should be looking at. Well, yeah, at. if you're putting your energy towards that, are you really being your authentic self? Totally. Or are you like have a little checkbook? Yeah. And uh, me and you both know if you just look at a checkbook or a list, that's not authentic love. Not at that's all. That's not intimacy. Not at all. And and I would go on to say this, and again, I'm, I'm diving into the science here. If I get too dorky, you can let me know. No. Um, but it's really interesting. So chemistry that we feel with someone with a spark is described as experiencing stress and excitement at the same time. So it's the excitement of, I just got her number, but the stress is, is she gonna text me, right? Or the excitement is, oh my God, oh my God, he just texted me. The stress is, oh my God, what do I text back, right? Mm -hmm. So chemistry is actually us feeling excitement and stress at the same time. Mm -hmm. Now, when you get to know someone, the stress drops because you've become more comfortable with them. Now we think the excitement's gone, but it hasn't. It just, you become more comfortable with them in a healthy way. So the interesting thing about sex, getting on back to that topic, is that all the studies show that when oxytocin is released during and after sex, you feel closer, but you're not actually emotionally closer. And the chemical oxytocin also has a temporary memory block, which means if you just had a massive argument about how you don't trust that person, now that that chemical is released, you're like, you're I actually, was being crazy. You're actually like, they're amazing. I love them. They're the best. So it's really interesting. And that's where I think a lot of these ideas about delaying sex come from. Because mm. if, well, I hope they do. I mean, if they don't, then that would be the only reason is yeah. that you don't make as good a decision about someone when you're in that kind of, illusion of we're so close mm -hmm. but actually it's a chemical reaction wow yeah. so wow. i really looked into this stuff because i was fascinated by like why do we feel close and that's why so many people have makeup sex mm -hmm. or breakup sex and then mm -hmm. get back together yes because it's this idea of like oh no no but we are really close we don't have any problems yes. there's a temporary memory block going on and i love what you said about like the connection of fear and sometimes getting that combined with like excitement mm -hmm. and then when you lose that fear you think like am i not excited about this person yeah. anymore yeah and and I learned that like love has so many different meanings. Mm -hmm. And I don't like I'd argue when you ask someone, what does love mean? You'll get tons of different answers Absolutely. based on different people. But I just got married in May. I know you're married. Thank you. And there is that feeling of like comfort that you could never feel yeah. within like the first 
month or two, but it's a different kind of high of like a stability and a safeness and understanding that I don't think we talk about a lot. Yeah. Well, I think if you're looking for chemistry, you should change who you see every month. Or every day. Like if you just have you heard the birth control drama? No, tell me. People are saying that birth control sometimes people get off birth control and be attracted to different men. Really? Because, I've not heard this. Because of have like, you heard this? the different you know, hormones. No, no. Am I making shit up? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm just like, intri- because she's had it, yeah. Because your Caroline's hormones changing yeah, yeah. that your attractions could be different. Yeah, so what so what changes? I'm fascinated. I, I, I don't I don't read full paragraphs yeah, when got it, I got get it. sent. But I'm a skimmer, but it it is something of the fact that like love and attraction is like scientific in your brain and it can be hormonal or like sometimes when you get pregnant and then you like hate your husband (laughs) (laughs) yeah a lot of my friends have been both ways yeah definitely you're like can you just stop breathing in my direction (laughs) what i also liked is you delved into how to like fight well yes and i don't think we talk about that ever yeah we never do fighting is an art form it's kung fu it is or and it's MMA. Or it's, or it's wrestling. Yes. Or it's something. Yes. And not knowing whether you're MMA or whether you're wrestling or whether you're Kung Fu mm-hmm. is where the issue comes from. I do think in my relationship, once I understood them more and learned not to take things personally, yeah. it really one. helps. Because sometimes they'll say something and you're like, you don't even fucking understand me. And then you realize like, oh, that's how, you know, his father spoke to him. Yeah. And that's all he knows. And, and then you decide, do I want to deal with this? bullshit yeah. is this the bullshit that i like and he's never had the chance to even reflect on that because he may not be aware mm-hmm. or she may not or they may not be aware i think so many of us if we're if you've done a bit of work you can see it but the problem is when you've done a bit of self-work you start judging everyone else True. And, and you want to avoid that because it's a really unhealthy way to you live. should go to therapy no you yeah, should yeah, go to you therapy should, yeah, well so, you go to therapy yeah. well my therapist told me that <laughs> my therapist told me yes. the new my dad can beat up your dad like, yeah. like in the playground that's what it was it's like my dad would take out your dad uh, look but my yeah, therapist knows what's going on literally but but john julie uh Ju- john and julie gottman who have been married for god knows how many years but they have an amazing uh, study called the gottman institute mm-hmm. which looks at all of this amazing research and they found that the number one thing that keeps couples together is not date nights it's not walks on the beach, it's not dinners, it's not movie nights, it's not holidays, it's learning how to fight. And when I saw that, I was like, wow, like learning how to fight is a skill, it's an art form. And kind of like what you just said about taking things personally. So when me and my wife first started dating and when we got married and when we'd first argue, I want to talk about it now and figure it out right now. That's the kind of fighter I am, right? And men could be very logical, like, well, a plus B equals C. So exactly. what are we doing? And, I, and I'm very much like that. Yeah. And I call that in the book venting. It's like, I want to figure out now and I want to do it right now. My wife is what I call a hider. She wants to go into a room. She wants to like not talk to me. She wants to think about it. She wants to reflect on it. She wants to figure it out. At the beginning of our relationship, I took that personally. I was like, oh wait, you don't care as much as I do. Because mm-hmm. I'm standing right here and you're walking Like, I want to fix it. And you're giving up. It. Exactly. And then only to realize that that's just how she dealt with it. Because when she came back, Sometimes two days later, <laughs> it's a bit of a long. Ten wait. years later, I'm like waiting outside. <laughs> but like two days later, when she came back, it's like I'm like, oh, she was actually in a place to process it. And so yes. what we found is, you need two days. I need one hour. Like yes. now, we're gonna meet in twelve hours or 
a day. Like we're going to meet in the middle and figure it out. And then the third uh, fight style I explain is exploding where it's like, I want to talk about my emotions right now. So you're not trying to fix it. You're not trying to solve it, but you need to be heard. Yes. Neither of these is good or bad. It's recognizing that we're all different and we all deal with stress and conflict differently. Yes. And if you saw your partner for just a style, like you were like, that's this. That is so smart. I actually... My husband and I once, he like upset me with something yeah. and I said, that upset me. I want you to apologize. And he basically was like, you're overreacting. I'm not apologizing. So we sat there and we just started dying laughing because like we were looking at it based on our styles where yeah. I was like, you're being stubborn and I'm being triggered mm -hmm. and you're, and we, instead of fighting about I mean, the actual thing was very stupid. We instead <laughs> were like, is. okay, how do we long-term fix this? Because I'm like, I just want to hear you say sorry. And he's like, well, I don't want to admit to something I don't think I did wrong. Yeah. And the next thing you know, you're like, oh, we are working on this long-term relationship. I think relationships are just, do you want to talk to this person for the rest of your life? Yeah, yeah. And can you navigate that conversation? Yeah. Which is like what you said. It's not about the fancy, extravagant vacations. No. It's about, are you on the couch? And can you tolerate basic conversation yeah, with them. And can you solve problems together and do you want to grow together? I, I read this research that, that kind of goes exactly with what you just said. It was saying that if you want to consider someone a casual friend, mm. you have to spend 40 hours with them. If you want to consider someone a good friend, you have to spend 100 quality hours with them. And if you want to consider someone a great friend or a best friend, you have to spend 200 hours with them of deep time. And so when I think about being with someone, or if you think about having a future with someone, it's like, do I want to spend 200 deep quality hours getting to know this person is a great way of knowing whether there's longevity here. And I think nowadays we don't think like that. We're like, if I post him on Instagram, yeah. <laughs> are the girlies going to love it? Do yeah. we look good aesthetically? And I learned from an, I feel like everyone has that one relationship where you're with the person that society tells you you should be with. I always, I have, I'm a stand-up comedian. I joke about yes, yeah, Disney and how Disney fucked up, like uh, who we should be attracted to. Like sure. as a young girl, it's like, there's that one prince on a horse with a stupid hairdo and he's probably a narcissist and he takes up all the space in the room and you're like, that's the one everyone wants me to marry. Yeah. <laughs> and then you find that guy and he makes you feel horrible oh and you're unfulfilled and you're a shell of yourself. And then you're like, wait, <laughs> I don't even have any in common with this man yeah, and yeah. just because you know so-and-so thinks it's cool you're dating a guy on the football team or something yeah, yeah. and i think we all have to overcome it's almost like an ego death with relationships 100 so well said how did you realize your wife was the kind of person that you could spend the rest of your life with deep, yeah deep question yeah deep question uh She's listening, so don't so, fuck it yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I was attracted to her from the first moment I saw her. So that was easy. That part, that part was already taken care of. If you asked her, she'd be like, eh. Sure, like, she, wouldn't, she wasn't She wasn't. I feel first. like guys are pretty black and white with that. Yeah, like yeah, they're either yeah. like, I want to be with her. Yeah, yeah. And then getting to know her, I think I just found that she just made me laugh. Like mm. she is hilarious. She's adorable. She's... She does the funniest stuff. That makes um, me so happy that yeah, you say that. Yeah, it's like, she ask any of my team. And she's like that with everyone. It's not like she's just like that with me. It's like, that's just who she is. And she radiates this like pure joy. Mm -hmm. And anyone who's ever around her, it's almost like people become friends with me and they're like, oh, Jay, I really like you. And then they meet my wife and it's like, who's Jay? Like, <laughs> that happens every time. Like well, that is Everyone's been in life. a relationship where like you're with someone and you're like, don't fuck this up. Yeah, yeah, don't yeah, say yeah. that thing. Yeah. Where like you're, pro you're, you can tolerate them alone, but yeah. then it, in a circle you're like 
oh, I just think he's tall, but socially, he's, I actually don't like how he deals yeah, with people. Yeah. <laughs> so to be proud of how your partner exists in the world is huge. Yeah, now I'm just jealous of her because she <laughs> just steals my friends. Like, But no, I think she's very, I think the thing about, I love about my wife the most is I think she really knows me deeply mm. and she accepts me for all that I am, all Ooh. my flaws, all my mistakes. So I feel like I've showed her as time's gone on more and more of myself. And I don't feel that I've ever felt judged, criticized or not been given compassion and grace at any of those points. And I think that that's why I love her because I know that whether we had anything or didn't have anything, I know that she'd be right there. Yes. She's been with me since day one as well. So. Ooh. so as a monk, there's not a lot of monks who have become famous and you are putting yourself out there. You're putting all of your teachings and thoughts into the world to be judged. Do you have any, this, every, oh, there's so much fame going on nowadays. Do you have any insight of how you deal with the public eye in a like peaceful way? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and obviously I always say like, I'm not a monk anymore. So mm -hmm. I, I teach from my practice that I lived as a monk for three years, but now I'm married. I'm a business person. Mm -hmm. I have, I have, a, have a podcast and books and, and everything else. And so one of the biggest things for me and how I deal with the public eye is I am very open and at the same time I understand what needs to be kept private and confidential so I don't believe in living a life where everything's on show and everything's for display I think there are so many experiences that are more beautiful when they are truly between two people yes or a friend and a family member whatever it may be like I don't live in a world where everything needs to be out there at the same time I love being vulnerable and authentic and open with my community and my audience but certain uh, things could be really tainted yeah. in the wrong way when you just do it for attention or the public eye grasp onto yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so I so I, I, I feel like I try to create that healthy balance mm -hmm. between what's truly for me and and what is it that I want to share. Uh, I'm always thinking about what I'm sharing. I'm like, how does this add value to someone's life? Like yeah. a vanity shot of me is not gonna add value to anyone's <laughs> life. Yes. Um but and so I'm always trying to think like how does this how does this really impact someone? How do how will this make someone's day better? Yes. Like that's what I think about a lot. And and I also made peace with it with the idea that there is truth in people's commentary on something and there's also sting yes and and your job as a content creator as a author as a whatever you may be is to figure that out is to take the feedback is to extract the parts that can help you mm -hmm. and leave the rest so it's almost like leave the sting and take the feedback mm -hmm. and so you're almost extracting the poison from the process and there's a lot of good out there that can help you there's a lot of even what you'd put as hate that could be very useful uh i found i mean i'm going very deep here but but i think we've been kind of oscillating in a good way uh between between deep and silly which is fun uh <laughs> is uh the idea that i find that fame being imperfect in the fact that it comes with a lot of judgment or criticism is what detaches you from fame which is what keeps you humble, grounded, and also protects you from your inevitable mm. irrelevance one day. Mm. And so I think you can get so attached and fixated to fame. And if fame didn't have those stings, then you'd you'd think fame was the best thing in the world. And you would think that it's the most amazing intoxicating You would lose drug. touch with reality, yeah, which is that you're a human. Exactly. And I just had, um, and obviously what to speak of myself, I just had Kevin Hart on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about this exact thing where like, 
his fame, he felt he was indestructible at this point. He felt that nothing could get at him. And he was like, fame let him down. Like it was the same people that were- And that's when the world's like, oh, you're ready to get exactly. <laughs> shown reality again? Yeah. And so like he was saying like when he was popping, the people that were popping bottles in the club were the same people that turned on him. And so, yeah. you know, I think <sighs> that that to me is, that's why we get these little reminders. And so I take them as a little reminder. Fame is imperfect. Fame is not the goal of life. Uh, it's it's wonderful. It's great, but it's it isn't everything. Like that's so powerful. Because I wanted to hear from your perspective as someone who's like lived a life that was so anti that. Do you have any advice for social media usage also? Because you both of us live our lives on social media. Yeah. We make money from social media. We spread our lies, try spread laughter and yeah. insight and wisdom and wisdom. A yeah. ton of yeah, wisdom. Do, yeah. Um, do you? How do you monitor social media and and living? Yeah, I I think that. It's, it's really interesting when you've come from a world, like for three years, I didn't know who the prime minister of England was. I didn't know who won the World Cup. And I- Honestly, I did, sounds I did, so yeah, relaxing. Yeah, so, so, yeah. And so I've come from, you know, that was a long time ago. And I left the monastery 10 years ago. But mm -hmm. for those three years, I had no access. It's like Big uh, Brother, but less drama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah very, that's an interesting way of putting it. Oh, yeah. I want a monk reality TV show. <laughs> it's just them like this. Yeah, just like that the whole time. Like we just don't move. Like you, you, you turn it on at midnight, off? turn it on at midnight to see something and nothing. Things change, like it's the same. Uh, but 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 I find that um, for me, like social media is something that I have to, I have to be very intentional and conscious. Yes. So I always make sure that it's not the first thing I see every morning. Yes. So studies show we have sixty to eighty thousand thoughts per day. Now, if I ask you to control sixty to eighty thousand thoughts, you couldn't. It's it's impossible. And eighty percent of those are negative and repetitive. <gasps> and so most of us are saying the same negative thing. Like you look in the mirror in the morning, you go, "I'm ugly." I don't look great today. Get to lunchtime, you look at your phone, selfie. Oh God, I still look the same, right? Mm -hmm. You're like repeating a thought again and again and again. It's like comfortable. Exactly. And it's relatable and it's familiar. Mm -hmm. And so what I say to people is make sure that you choose intentionally your first thought of the day and your last thought of the day. You can control two thoughts per day. And so my first thought of the day, I don't want it to be based on news, negativity, notifications, or noise, which is what my phone's going to give me if I pick it up first thing in the morning. Yes. So even if you can create a seven-minute gap between when you wake up and picking up your phone, a five-minute gap to brush your teeth and like just get to that point of having a shower, like even if you can just do that, mm -hmm. get there because I promise you it's going to give your time, your mind time to warm up. And one of the things I, I often mention is that Waking up and looking at a phone is like letting a hundred people walk into your bedroom in the morning before you've got up. You would never let a hundred people walk a literal into your nightmare. bedroom. Literal nightmare. Literal nightmare. You'd be like, wait, I need to do my makeup. You'd be like, oh, wait a minute, let me just put on some clothes. You'd yeah. be like, oh, wait, let me, whatever it Also, like, be. I don't want to know how everyone is doing. Like, yeah. I, I can't take in all that energy. You can't. You just need to get your energy right. But when you pick up your phone, that's what it is. A hundred people just walked into the bedroom of your mind. And now you've set yourself up to be reactive to all their needs, all their requests. And so I find giving yourself that gap. So for me, one thing is giving myself that gap. Mm -hmm. uh, the second thing is I consider myself to be fairly present if I'm at lunch or dinner. I, mm -hmm. me, and, me and my wife had a rule that we set a while ago in the home, uh, which was no technology uh, homes and no technology times. Uh, sorry, let me tell you again. Uh, <laughs> no technology zones, zones and no technology times. Yeah. So for example, the, the dining table and the bedroom 
a no technology zone. Oh, wow. Because I'd rather eat with you and I'd rather sleep with you. I don't want to be like, you know, in this in between. Yes. And then no technology times, like after 9 p.m., let's not be on our phones. You know, before we finish our meditation in the morning, which is something we do together, we're not going to look at our phones. And so I find that even, and we're not perfect. We break those rules all the time. Like, mm -hmm. yes, do I have my phone at? You guys are wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like 10.30 p.m. I'm on my phone. Oh, my God. Like, Sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not saying we follow those rules perfectly, but even having those yeah. just sets better barriers and boundaries. So, I, But I think the biggest thing is please create a five to seven minute gap between waking up and looking at your phone because your phone's just going to bombard you with negativity, noise, notifications, and news. And now you start your day on a minus four and your whole day, you're just climbing up the ladder, trying to get back to zero. Yes. When you could have set yourself up. Yeah. It's like immediately getting a punch in the gut exactly. that, that, that is, you're kind of doing to yourself because you didn't have to look at the phone. Yeah. Ooh, I'm as talking to myself phone, as yeah. I look at my phone. <laughs> Wait, okay. We're going to get a little darker. Yeah. We're going to play a final game, oh, cool. but I actually, I've added this new question that I think is fun. What is like your version of hell? Ooh. Is that a little when too you dark? Say, no, no, no. I love it. I love it. I love it. Do you mean version as in like, what does it look like if, if as a physical place? Or do you mean like in my life, whenever I've gone through it? In your hell? life. Oh. Like what is, or what is, you don't even have to have gone through it, but like your biggest, your, Ooh, that's good. your nightmarish that's thing. A good question. Um, that's a really good question. I think to know that everyone you loved had like a terminal illness or, or like, you know, like everyone, everyone you loved is like to disappear in the same way. Like if everyone of your family was traveling on a plane and then you never saw them again, like to oh, me, like shit. that's the worst thing that could happen because you know, you, yeah, that would be the, that would be hell because I just watched yeah. the last of us. Is that what it's called? The last of us on HBO. So. Is that, yeah. it's the, yeah. oh my yeah, God, yeah, it's go. so Pulling good. Yeah. <laughs> I highly recommend, but it, yeah. it's, it's very apocalyptic. Right. right um, yeah. fungi. Yeah. Anyway. But did you mean more like casually? Hell? No, I was no like, that was, hell's a strong word. That was so the was first like, time yeah. I've ever asked this on this pod. It's like yeah, a new thing I'm throwing in. It's deep. It's, I mean, yeah, you see what people like immediately go to of like what they value and what they don't want to lose. Yeah. Time to play the seven deadly sins. Okay, yes. Seven deadly sins. What are you greedy about? Ooh, what am I greedy about? Uh, I'm going to ask my team in a second, but what am I greedy <laughs> about? Um, and it could be something physical and it could be something yeah. emotional. Well, greedy, which I've had to work on a lot, is sugar. I love sugar. Ooh. I'm like greedy about good chocolate. Like I'm addicted. Oh, I yes. Before I met my wife. So yeah, chocolate's funny. She gets you onto like the dark. No, my wife's kept me away from the darkness because she's like extremely focused on Dark health. chocolate? No. Okay. <laughs> she's kept me away from dark and all chocolates. But yeah, probably chocolates. Well, I'm oh, yeah. I looked at her page. Yeah. I mean, oh, she looks very healthy <laughs> and knowledgeable about that shit. <laughs> Who are you envious of? Oh, that is such a good question. Okay, who am I envious of? Um, and it could also be a type of person too. What do you mean a type of person? Like people who do this. Oh, or yeah, yeah. I think um, sometimes I'm envious of someone who... No, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm envious of Cristiano Ronaldo because I think <laughs> he's amazing. I'm going to be straight up. I, I, if I could have been a football player, I was never good enough. He deals with a lot of shit. He does, though. he does. And that's what you realize, right? Like even the people you look up to the most are dealing with so much 
I mean, he, yeah, he, he deals with way too much more, you know, and, and I mean, that's why I came up with the concept of burning in hell. Cause I started to meet these people I looked up to. Yeah. yeah, And then you start to realize everyone's living through their own shit. Yeah. I even was thinking like, why did LeBron, like LeBron James, is he that much happier than all of us? And then I realized like everyone has the cards they're dealt in their own experience and he didn't doesn't have some like karmic thing that made yeah, yeah. him like his hell is as painful as our hell. Totally, it just might be in a mansion. Yeah, yeah, and and, <laughs> and the thing with Cristiano Ronaldo is I don't, and I'm obviously I'm I'm half joking, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's I think he inspires me, and sometimes I look at envy as not that I want what they have or what he has. It's almost like that's what I aspire for. And he's and so great in something. He inspires and me by his mindset. Cool. He inspires me by his dedication. Like his hair. I want to. His hair. I mean, <laughs> I mean, maybe I could. I could. No, you I can could, make I, some edits. Yeah, I could, no, no. I, I mean, I think my hair's good. Like, <laughs> uh, but uh, I think, I think for me, it's more like I aspire in so many ways to carry that spirit for what he does for his love that I can mm. do that for my love. So that's what I mean by envy Ooh. in that context. Did you manifest this life for yourself? Oh wow. Um, I would say that when I started, I had no idea that it would ever get to this point and stage. I love so that. So I would say no. Oh, I love because that. Because I didn't really ever believe that this many people would care about well-being, mindfulness, meditation, health. So I'm so grateful and humbled every day that I get to live this life. I love that because I almost think that if you manifested like I want to be like have millions and millions of followers on Instagram, you wouldn't have gotten there. You manifested I want to fully understand these teachings and be able to teach people. Yeah, I think what I manifested was I want to do what I love every day. Mm -hmm. And what I love is learning, teaching, sharing, experimenting and living. And I'm going to find a way to make that relevant, accessible and helpful to people and practical to people. And that you love the journey of it. Absolutely. And if you don't love the journey, you're not going to get anywhere. Absolutely. Powerful. Yeah, these are great questions. Ooh, oh my God. Thank you. Yeah. When was the last time you experienced extreme wrath or anger? Oh, that's a really tough one. Oh gosh. I, 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 so I've never been, I grew up in a house where there was a lot of anger. Mm. And so I very early on was like, I'm, triggered I'm, by I'm, it. Yeah. I'm not going to be angry. And even when I met my wife, we were like, we're never going to raise our voices. Even if we argue, even if we fight, it's never abusive. It's never, so, so anger is like a rare, rare, rare emotion for me. Like mm-hmm. irritable. Yes. From a man that's angry, powerful. Angry. Because, I feel like a lot of men. Well, because my dad scared me when he was angry, right? Like it's yeah. like, if you've seen anger at like its peak and extreme, yeah, you don't want to go near that. You know? yes. So I can't, I really can't. And that's not me being insincere. I just genuinely cannot remember mm-hmm. the last time I was angry. Oh, I can. <laughs> But it wasn't wrath. It wasn't wrath. This is me yeah. being slight half silly again. Yeah. When my wife, for my birthday, bought me a tablet that was an Asus, not an iPad. I right? Mean, Asus. That... Like, no offense to Asus. <laughs> but when I said I wanted an iPad, it had to be an iPad, but it was not. It was an Asus. So, so you just threw it across the room? No, 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 no. That's <laughs> what I mean. It wasn't wrath. I was still polite. I was like, I was like, you got me an Asus. <laughs> I was like, I was like, really? Like an Asus? Um, can you? And she was like, no, but my. You're my, like, my are we family- also Android users now? Yeah, like- yeah, my, yeah, she was like, my family told me it's like really good technologically and it's like better. You're like, like, well, your family oh. hates me. Yeah, so. yeah. And I was like, well, your family doesn't know I wanted an iPad. So. I honestly can't remember the last time I was angry. But that's it's also the fact that you meditate every day is probably yeah. very helpful. Yes, yeah. Um, because I joke that a lot of men, whenever they experience anything besides anger, they like don't know what to do yeah. so it's nice to 
have men feeling other emotions yeah. than just immediately making it like the most masculine. Yeah. And, and I think doing certain things that can express emotions that are healthy. I mean, I played a lot of rugby growing up mm. and I feel like as a young man, if you did have any anger or frustration, like you had an outlet uh, where, where it was welcome to be yes. physical. And so like, even today, if it's like, I know a lot of my friends like will lift or do tough workouts or we'll go on a hike or like something that's challenging uh, is often where you can channel that anger. Yes. And I find like, if you don't channel your anger towards something that's challenging, you take it out on someone you care about. Yes. And I think that's what hurts me the most is that the people that matter to us most get the worst of us. And the people that we say that are first in our lives get the worst of us. Mm -hmm. And I would never want that to be the case. And I don't want to live in a world where I just treat my wife with anger and then I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, it, I didn't mean it. Mm -hmm. And I think once you've said something you don't mean, it no, it never goes from someone's memory. It's always there. Yeah. And so I just, I kind of take that very seriously that I don't want to say something that I don't truly believe. Yeah, I was a tennis player and I definitely yeah, like hitting a ball. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I would just go to sleep after. Take it out on the ball. The ball doesn't have feelings. Like, yeah. yeah. Just go for it. Yeah. Do you have a physical regimen too? Like do you do yoga or you, you run or what do you do for your I, body? I've, I've, Oscillated between a bunch of things. Right now, it's hiking every day. Wow! So I hike every single day for about an hour. Uh, it's really beautiful. I love it. It also gives me the sunlight in the morning. Gets my circadian rhythm moving. Yes. Uh, there's enough of an incline where it's challenging. It's it's great for cardiovascular health. Yeah. Uh, I played tennis during the pandemic. Oh, cool! Uh, so that was really fun. Great but I realized sport. when you take up a sport when you're older, you're good while you're practicing. <laughs> I didn't play for a year. I am terrible. So I was like, I was like, oh, I could play some tournaments now. And then I didn't play for a year. And now I'm like, guys. And tennis I, is so like skill be, and timing and so, feel. Yeah, but I loved it. So I, I play tennis. I, I've broken, I've been, sometimes I'll be at the gym. Sometimes I'll be hiking. Sometimes I'll be playing tennis. So I'll, mm -hmm. I'll mix it up. It's good. I mean, I live a similar life to you and where like sometimes you're touring sometimes yeah. you're on the road so sometimes I have trouble with that like consistency that I used to have as a kid when I was like yeah. just training um but it is important to move your body I'm trying to tell <laughs> yes, myself that it is so important Ooh, speaking of when was the last time you were a sloth so like had like a real lazy day oh probably like last weekend uh -huh. um or maybe yeah yeah maybe a couple of weekends ago mm -hmm. i try and have a sloth i try to have a sloth evening once a week where i could like order all the food that my wife would never condone oh hell yeah uh, go all out uh when she's not around what's like, your like guilty pleasure like your least monk-like thing about you that people would be surprised to know Ah, uh, least monk-like. <laughs> I mean, probably like addiction to like fried food, sugar, like uh -huh. chocolate fudge cake <laughs> with extra chocolate <laughs> toppings. Like, yeah, it has to be food related because yes. I have such a like, yeah, I have such a big sweet tooth. Mm -hmm. So like burgers, fries, pizza, pasta with a ton of, yeah, like I had, I used to go to a place here in New York called Terry's uh -huh. and I invented a shake there. It wasn't named after me or anything <laughs> cool like that. I just used to go there and I'll be like, I love the usual. And they'd be like, what do you, what do you want? Like explain it. But I'd get them to grind up a, a brownie into their milkshake. Oh, for that texture. Ice cream, oh. for that texture. And I was like, and I was like, can you grind it just perfect so I can still taste the brownie pieces? <laughs> like it needs to come off the straws. And it's like, and so <laughs> that's like, yeah. You're, yeah, you're getting like too many emotions with it. Yeah, yeah, I get too, too connected. Yeah, Talk yeah. about love. Yeah, exactly. Okay, mm. this is the hard one. When was the last time you let your pride or your ego get in the way of something? Oh my God, I mean, 
or every time I talk to my wife. Like, so <laughs> I, uh, it's hard. It's hard. Your wife, that's this what interview is so the, good, the person, by the way. The, you're the, killing the it. The person you love the most is is the person who, who gets that side of you. Like, yeah, I and remember, they know so, you so easily to like know exactly yeah. your triggers or like things that piss you off. Yeah, I um I officiated Jen and Ben's wedding last year, mm -hmm. and I've been asked about it a lot. And that, oh yeah, that, that's on my mind. So <laughs> I officiated this wedding last Jen year. Jen and Ben, casual. And um. I was practicing to my wife the day before and she, she saw me practice. I had my notes, I, you know, rehearsed it for her. And she goes, that's terrible. She was just like, that's really bad. Like she was like, you got to change that. And I was like, and I, and my whole ego, I was like, do you know who I am? Like, I was like, I was like, I was like, I've been asked, like, don't you realize? Like, who you're? And it was just really interesting because I was like, and then I was like, all right, I didn't obviously, I, did. I, I said to her, I was like, no, 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 it's really good. I mean, like, I mm -hmm. thought about this. She was like, no, no, you need to change the whole thing. And it was just really interesting because all my ego wanted to do is defend myself. But then I'm like, but she just wants me to be good tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That's all she wants. Mm -hmm. She's being honest with me when no one else would be honest with me. True. She, Everyone else would yeah, literally be like, that's the greatest good. thing I've ever heard, Jay. You're amazing. Totally. She just wants me to be good tomorrow. And she, she knows actually, what you're capable of. Exactly. And so I rewrote it. And it went really well. Uh -huh. And and she was really happy with it. And I think that for me is a perfect example of how every part of me was just defending myself. And, yes. and I think we do that with our partners with everything. We defend ourselves because we want them to love us. Yes, but we, we don't care so much about what they think. We care so much about what they think, but we don't realize what they think is love. Like that is care. Mm -hmm. Them saying, hey, I think you could be better at this. I think I know you can do better. I know how great you can be. That is the deepest form of love and care. Mm -hmm. Not someone pretending that you don't have something in your teeth. Like, you <laughs> yeah. know, like, You're like, so right. right? Find like the person, the person that, that tells you, you yeah. there's something in your teeth. Someone came up to me the other day and told me, I was just about to film. Actually, I was doing an interview last week on my podcast and my videographer said to me, bro, you've got like chia seeds all up in your teeth. <laughs> and I was like, all right, all right, I've got to get them out. That's the most LA shit I've ever heard. Oh, is that very LA? <laughs> there you go. I'm so LA. I'm so LA. I'll take it. I love I'm it. so LA. Okay, final question. Yeah. What advice would you give to the listeners on how to cope with your hell when you're going through it, you're in your darkness, whether it's in a relationship, your job, what are some go-to things that you like to turn to? The first thing that I've always said to myself is this only makes the story better. One day that. you're going to tell your story. One day you're going to share it. It may just be with a family friend. It may just be, it may be with your child. It may be with a brother, a sister, a parent. And when you tell that story, your hell is what's gonna make the story really connect and impact and help people. Mm -hmm. And so don't lose that part of how amazing this will make your story. People will be able to relate to your hell far more than your heaven uh, because your hell is, is something everyone can connect to. Everyone's been there. Uh, the second thing I'd say is, what is this telling me I need to develop as a skill? Not do, what do I need to learn? What's the skill that I need to develop in order to break through this, mm -hmm. right? Maybe you're holding um, a blunt sword and you can't cut what's down in front of you. So it's like, okay, let me learn to sharpen the sword. That's the skill I need right now. Mm -hmm. And I think often when we're struggling, we're like, why is this happening to me? I wish this wasn't happening rather than going, wait, 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 what skill do I need to learn? Maybe the skill is mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Maybe the skill is resilience. Mm -hmm. Maybe the skill is learning how to fight. And if you focus on learning a skill, now you've got amazing ammunition for the rest of your life. Yes. You can pull it out of your toolkit whenever you need it. Yes. So I'd say that's the second thing. And the third thing that I say to myself when I'm going through a tough time or, or, or walking through hell is actually it's the opposite. Reminding myself when I'm in heaven that hell is just around the corner and reminding myself in hell that heaven is just around the corner. And both have to work together that when things, I always say to people, when things are bad, work hard. 
But when things are good, work harder. Yes. Because we get so complacent when things are good. And when you get complacent when things are good, the hell feels much worse. Yes. And so just, just, just live in this equanimity of, I'm just doing my purpose, whether it's hell or heaven. Yes, instead of being so extreme with the light and dark, totally. it's like you're existing. Yeah, I'm existing. I I'm, I'm, I'm know what I'm doing. Whether it's hell or heaven, I'm going to wake up and do the same thing anyway. Mm -hmm. Whether it's hell or heaven, I'm going to wake up and meditate. Mm -hmm. Whether it's hell or heaven, I'm going to wake up and work out. Whether it's hell or heaven, I'm going to try and serve and impact people. Mm -hmm. Because that's what I was born to do anyway. Wow, Jay Shetty just served it up Thank in you. hell. This was so fun. That was amazing. This was so much fun. That was I was like, I want to push him. I want to challenge him. And you knocked everything out of the park. Tell everyone where they can get your book, where they can follow you, where they can see you live. Give me all the tea. Absolutely. So if you want to read the book or listen to the audiobook version, which I read out myself. Oh, gorgeous. Uh, eightrulesoflove.com, the number eightrulesoflove.com. And if you'd like to see me on tour, I'm going on my first world tour ever. Very excited uh, to sit in here you head over to jshettytour.com mm -hmm. and you can get tickets for the international tour that is so exciting thank you. thank you for coming to hell we'll talk to you guys later bye thank you so much <laughs>